Good morning. This is George, pastor of Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So glad that you've decided to tune into our podcast today. I hope that you enjoy this message. It's one that, quite honestly, I was hoping to avoid. I, I think I even mentioned it in last week's message that I was going to move on to somewhere else in David's life that I really didn't feel we needed to go through this whole Bathsheba ordeal. Uh, but the Lord kind of spoke to my heart and said, no, I didn't put it in there for you to skip. I put it in there for a reason, for you to see, for you to understand. And I believe after studying this this week, he's given me revelation knowledge of this story and why we have to put ourselves through seeing it and hearing it. I hope that it's good for you. It's been really good for me. God bless you. Come out and see us sometime. I hope you enjoy this message. This entitled today is Bathsheba. We'll get started here in just a couple of minutes. Have you guys gotten tired of studying on King David yet? No? no. no? I got to apologize a little bit. I made some statements at the end of the message last week that I really didn't want to even go into the Bathsheba story. It's a repulsive story. It bothers me. I thank God that it does. And as I was studying, because I'm weeks ahead of you studying, and, and I thought, because I'm looking in Chronicles and Second Samuel and back over to Chronicles, that there's this really interesting story about you know, David taking a census that really upset God greatly, and Israel paid greatly for that. But the timeline doesn't work. It's, it's actually about 20 years from now, from where we're at. And I thought, all right, Lord. And so the Lord began to deal with me. He said, why don't you want to go through this story of Bathsheba? I didn't put it there for you to skip it. And I said, Lord, it bothers me. Is that because you remember who you were? Hmm. He says, I never remind you of who you were. But you need to look at this. And you need to pay attention. There's a reason I put it there. Not just so we can cap on David and look at how bad David is. But it's how great our God is. And how great his mercy is. And how awesome Jesus is. So we're going to go through the story, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I entitled it, People Suffer When Leaders Go Astray. People suffer. Now let me clarify. It's not just me as your leader. You're a leader in your household. You're a leader at your work. You're a leader in your room. When leaders go astray, people get hurt. And that's really what this story is about. People get hurt. It's not just a leader as in me or as in King David. We're all leaders to respect our jobs, our families, the things that we do, our everyday lives. I can remember when I was 
a general contractor, which seems like a, a lifetime ago. Remember those days, Jim? That was like a long time ago. I sometimes made bad decisions, and it affected the people that I had working for me. It could mean them losing their jobs, depending on what kind of bonehead bad decision I had made. And this was always hard. This, this contracting business I had was always hard on my family because employees always got paid. Well, the contractor hopes that at the end of the job, it will be profitable. It's a tough place to be. But even when your motives are good, things from, for leaders can go terribly wrong. And it, it intends to affect other people in our lives negatively. You guys remember a few weeks ago when David tried to move the ark without inquiring of God or the Bible? God's word? Before he moved it? He should have known. But rather, his method of transportation seemed more like the Philistines' approach to putting the ark on a new cart and pulled by a couple of really cool cows. It just made a lot of sense. This celebration of bringing the ark to Jerusalem begins with great joy and a, and a great show and, and a great parade, but it costs someone their life. Uzzah, it cost him his life. Because David got kind of ahead of himself. He didn't inquire of God. He didn't ask God first. God, should I take this job over here? Should, should I pick my family up and, and move over here, God? Is this you? It's so important that we inquire of God on the decisions we have to make. God, is this the doctor that you want me to see? Is this the person that you want me to go to? He wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate with you. And we need to be talking to him about our everyday lives, everyday decisions. You ever been driving down the road and... The Holy Spirit just say to you, turn left instead of right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, Lord, the store is over there. I know, turn left. And you turn left. And maybe, sometimes there may be nothing. Sometimes there may be this guy walking the side of the road and the Lord says, I want you to give him a ride. You, we don't know. It's important that we communicate with God with all our, our daily lives and what's going on, where we're going, what we're doing always communicating with him. So let's get into our story today. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, isn't that interesting? I got stuff right there. They had a season for war. Do you see that? In the spring, when it became war season, why? Because they didn't get their chariots stuck in the mud. You can't go to war in the wintertime when it's raining and everything's sloshy and slippy and sliding. You're going to lose your chariots. You're going to lose your men. You're going to lose the war. I don't know how they all got together and said, hey, guys, let's make war a season and we'll do it in the spring. But they did. There was a season, a time for war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and a whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rapha. But David 
remained in Jerusalem. Why do you think he did that? David is a warrior. David is a mighty man. He loved war. Why do you think he stayed home? A lot of us kind of think we see David as this 35-year-old macho guy out there swinging a machete, you know, lopping heads. But at this point, he's actually like 53 years old. Do you ever get to a place where you go, you know what? You know, I've been a good Christian for a long time, and I think it's time to let the young folks take over. I'm just going to sit back, relax for a while. You know, I'm in older now, and I get tired. I can't ride a horse as fast as these younger guys, and maybe it's just time to kind of enjoy all that God has done in my life and uh, maybe just sit back. Can I tell you, in the church, there's no time to sit back, guys, girls. It doesn't matter that we're getting older. Most of our volunteers are my age that are in this church. It, there's no time to sit back and say, all right, God, it's, it's, you know, let the young folks do it. Let, let's, I've done my part. No, we're always striving. We're always working. This is where David gets into trouble. He gets bored. Verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed. Now think about it. I don't know if this is daylight or nighttime. It said evening. He's been in bed. He's been in bed. He's been laying around. He's getting lazy. He's getting bored. Now, I don't know how a guy with however many wives he had gets bored, but one drives me crazy. I don't know. He had like 12 of them. I mean, he, you know, I, but he had all, but he got bored. He's laying around. So he says, one evening, David got up from his bed. So he was laying around in bed all day, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. And this is what the man said. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. This is where it hurts me a little bit. David, do you guys remember Uriah? He's one of the original 300 of the mighty men. He's been with David throughout all of his adventures, through running from Saul. He's, he's been there. He's been fighting alongside of him and fighting for him and now serving his army out in the field. He's got to be a man of his, in his 50s. He has to be. He was there with David from the beginning. He's not even an Israelite. He's a Hittite, but he loves God, and he loves David, and he loves his country. So here he is. It's not like this was some woman that David didn't know. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's original mighty men. He was a loyal follower and now a loyal warrior in David's army. I could easily walk away from King David at this point knowing he is a man 
that would not only take another man's wife, but take another man's wife whom he knew, loved, and respected. But can I say this? Sin makes us stupid. Even a mighty man like David, even your pastor, George, sin makes us stupid. And we begin to make decisions that we would never have made. So I asked God, I said, God, how can I reconcile this in my own mind, in my own soul? And he says, do you remember who you are? Yes, I am a human being. I am a man who was born into sin, just like David. We all sin. And I thank God that we have the stories in this word so that we can see and recognize the sin temptation when it arrives. Maybe we would never consider doing something as low as David is doing right here, and I praise God for that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever lied? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer. Have you ever lied and then only to lie again to cover up the first lie? All right, I have. We all have issues. We have all sinned. This is where good Christians who don't do those kind of things tend to be judgmental towards others simply because we don't think we because we think we would not do what they're doing. So we put ourselves a little bit higher because I would never make the decision to do something like that. So I, I, I'm, I'm a better Christian than that guy over there. And it's only because we figured out the cost to our sin. The law has taught us not to cover another man's wife. We get that. But then we're quick to say, I would never do that. And we look down on someone else because of what they're doing. And I'm telling you, Christians, brothers and sisters, we, we have to stop that. We have to stop being judgmental and start loving people and, and being able to say to them, do you realize the road you're on is a road to destruction? You're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy everything around you. And I still love you. Come along with me. Let's talk. Let's sit down and go through the thing. And let me show you the results of what sin can cause in your life. How about loving on someone instead of saying, you know what? That guy over there is just drinking way too much. I don't have to associate with him. I don't have to deal with him. I don't have to love him. Because he's in sin. And he is. Does that give us right? Not to talk to him? Not to love on him and say, listen, this is destructive what you're doing. Let me help. Let's be accountability partners. Let's do something. We can work on this together. I'll go to meetings with you. Whatever it takes. Just think about some of the people that we've heard about in the Old Testament. My word, you thought the disciples were a ragged bunch. Let's go back to Adam, the very first man. He's the first blame shifter. He's going to blame everything on Eve. And the first woman, she couldn't control her appetite. She, you could say she had the first eating disorder. What about Cain? The firstborn human murders his own brother. Noah. 
The Bible says he was the last righteous man on earth at the time. We found him drunk and naked in his tent. Thank God he was in the tent. Abraham, the forefather of faith, lied saying his wife was his sister just to save his own neck, and he didn't do it once, he did it twice. Sarah, the most gorgeous woman by popular opinion, let her husband sleep with another woman and then hated her for it. Isaac, who was nearly killed by his own father, talked his wife into concealing their marriage. You can find that in Genesis 26. Rebecca, the first mail-order bride. Jacob, out-wrestled God and was a pathological liar and a deceiver. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, according to his own writing, killed a man and had a real problem with his temper. He really did. He didn't get to go into the promised land because he struck the rock. God said, go speak to the rock and I'll give you all that you need. And he went out of anger of, at the people and he struck the rock. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Oh, he went to heaven, trust me. But he didn't get to fulfill the plan that God had for him. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, arguably was addicted to women with over a thousand wives and eventually took him down. So what, pastor? What's the edification in this list of warped examples? Should we just throw up our hands, conceding that people are typically a mess? Of course not. But there are some practical and pro productive takeaways from these patterns of dysfunction in the Bible. And you realize, you get over to the New Testament, read Hebrews 11. God doesn't say anything about these dysfunctions. Not a word. Not a word. These are great men of the Old Testament, mighty men of God. And the New Testament runs into grace. Runs into what Jesus does. And, and this is what God is trying to show us, how valuable grace really is. We're all sinners, born in sin. We all have the capability of doing exactly what David's doing here, which is really pretty horrific, and he pays. He pays. But we have to remember, and it helps us to recognize grace. Dysfunction cannot be equated to our standing before God. Most of these listed above can be characterized as righteous, as least men of faith. And we can see that in Hebrews 11. Whether it be our, ourselves or those we shepherd, it's not so much what our issues are, it's how we handle our issues. Even when our heart condemns us. Have you ever had your heart condemn you? God is greater than your heart. The Apostle Paul spent his energy struggling against sin and left the task of judging himself with God. Sin does indeed have consequences. Pain, brokenness, brokenness 
loss, even death. Followed by our bad choices. Hopefully, our distaste for sin is driven by our gratitude and love for God. But if no other reason, we should at least avoid to escape the incredible pain that accompanies sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, says it like this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Is that too hard to understand? What you're sowing, you're going to reap. So what are we sowing in our lives? Are we sowing blessing? Are we sowing goodness? Because God is not going to be mocked. You can act like a Christian here on Sunday. You look good. You smell good. Everybody's happy and shaking hands. But is that really who you are? God knows. And we need to be challenged by it. Then there's most certainly grace to be had. It's what the gospel of grace is all about. You see, no one can under, unscramble eggs except God. So let us take our scrambled lives to God who understands and has mercy. This is what redemption is all about. Hebrews 4.16, I'd like you to see this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Stop picking on yourself, going, Lord, I've done this, I, I, I did this just last week, and, and I, I'm just a horrible person, I can't. You know what, stop it. Let's go to the throne. It says right here, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that he has already forgiven us. He's already forgiven us. He, he's already forgiven what, you've already, what you're planning to do in the future. Once we see this and we taste this, there's no turning back. People say, well, how did you ever make that transition of who you were to who you are today? I approach God's throne of grace. That's the only way. And once I seen that grace, that it began to change me internally a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. I can remember when I was in ministry, ministering out at the track, and I still smoked cigarettes. It took time. I ha it took time to get rid of the stuff, the baggage that I was carrying along. And, and I'll never forget, I talked to my pastor, Craig. I just love him. He, he, I said, Pastor, you've never said anything about me smoking. And he goes, why does it offend you? And I said, well, I'm very careful about it. I don't smoke while I'm out there. And he goes, I know that. I trust you. My only concern is if you don't quit, you're going to die too soon. But I, it's funny you even brought that up. You must be really convicted. Thanks, Pastor. I guess I am. You know. 
And it wasn't long after that I made the decision that, okay, it, it's time. It's time to get rid of that thing. That's what, that's what happens when we find grace. And grace is Jesus. Jesus Christ is grace. Amen. You've found Jesus. So let's get back to our story. 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. Can I talk a little bit about Bathsheba here? The word doesn't give us. You realize the word, according to what the word, he puts it all on David. This is all David's problem. David's, Bathsheba's never mentioned. But do you think that she knew she was on her rooftop taking a bath that was in view of the king's palace? I mean, come on. You think that she didn't know? You think she was just accidentally outside taking a bath with the king's palace right next door? Sin is sin. And I think Bathsheba had a lot more to do with it than what the word gives us. And we, we can find in Proverbs where it, the Bible tells that a woman should not be seductive in that way and should cover herself and protect herself so that us crazy men don't get these crazy ideas. Anyway, that's all we're going to say about that because it's not in the word. Let's look at verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, how's Joab, your leader, your commander? How the soldiers were? And how the war is going? Talk to me, Uriah. Let's become the friends that we've never really spent enough time together like we should have. Verse 8 says, David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. Not only was the king sending him home, he was sending him home with a banquet dinner for him and his wife. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with his master's servants, and did not go down to his house. Wow. I love this guy. This guy's amazing. Verse 10 says, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Aren't you tired, Uriah? You've been out there fighting a battle. You've been out there riding horses, sleeping on the ground, sleep. Oh, come on, Uriah, what's the problem? Why don't you go home? Well, you guys know why David's doing this, right? Do we have to explain it? Has everybody got this? He wants Uriah to go sleep with his wife, so Uriah thinks it's an obvious thing that he made his wife pregnant and it's his child. David's trying to cover a lie with a lie. Uriah said to David, listen to this. 
the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, king, I will not do such a thing. This man was incredible. So I can see the panic begin to rise in David's thinking now. Let's look at verse 12. When David said to him, Stay here one more day, buddy. One more day and tomorrow. And I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. That's a good way to cover up a lie. This is get drunk and everything will get stupid. I mean, that's kind of what is, what's going on. He, he figures, surely, if I can get him drunk, he'll forget about the men, he'll forget about me, and he'll go home and be with his wife. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat, along with his master's servants. He did not go home. Now, this next verse hurts a little bit. In the morning... Verse 14, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Oh, it hurts. He gave a letter to Uriah that is basically a death sentence. It says, give this to Joab. Of course, Uriah is not going to look in the letter. We've just seen what kind of character this man was. He's not going to... He wrote in it, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. My own opinion here, I believe Joab had some real questions about this. Like I told you last week, I feel like I've I've misjudged Joab because of his killing Abner and, and some of his actions I just did not agree with. And, but I believe that Joab knew there was something up here. So while, Joab, so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were, where the men of the city came out and fought against Joab some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So it didn't just cost Uriah's life. There's some other lives here. When leaders go astray, people get hurt. Verse 18, Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger... When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, verse 20 now, it says, the king's anger may flare up. Can you get into Joab's thinking here a little bit? Because he, he, he doesn't know this whole story of what's going on with Bathsheba, and, and I just lost some really good men. 
just to put Uriah out front. I lost some really good men, so any normal time King David would get upset because Joab knows him. He says, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jobesha? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone? This is a story that we read earlier, or, or it is, I think it's in Kings. He dropped a millstone from the wall onto his head and it killed him. So he died in the best. He's going to say, why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks this, then say to him, moreover, your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead. Whatever you're doing, David, if you want to get angry at us for doing what we did, the guy you asked to die is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told everything to Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Verse 24, then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite died. Now listen to David's response. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. how far we go to cover our own mistakes. David normally would have been angry at the loss of these really good men. But he says now, ah, oh, it's no big deal. One dies, one lives. That's war. That's what happens. Do we ever do that when we try to cover up our mistakes? When we try to cover up our problems that we have and we, we tell a lie that maybe puts the situation in a little better light and then later on, oh, I heard something so-and-so said and, and we have to lie again to even make it sound a little better or extraordinarily make it worse is what we're doing because we're lying. So he says, don't let this upset you. It's okay. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After a time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife again and bore him a son. Pay close attention to the very last few words. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord.
whole next chapter, chapter 12, is the prophet of God coming to David and exposing him for his guilt and his sin. And we're going to look at that next week. I, I don't like this story, guys. But it's one I really believe that the Lord said, no, you're, yeah, I put it there for a reason. You're going to learn and you're going to grow through this. That we got to stop our evil ways with little white lies and little things that we do to cover ourselves. To make ourselves a little bit better. To make the story sound a little less tragic or whatever it is in our lives. It's important that we see that David is just a man. He's a great man. He's a mighty man, but he's still just a man. And God says he's a man after his own heart. Well, it wasn't this man. And we're going to see that next week. He's going to pay. There's a price to pay for our sin. There's a reaction to everything that we do. We have to pay attention to it. I thank God for grace. I thank God for salvation. I know that some of my idiocy ways, the things I think and do that are wrong, I know that I'm forgiven and I'm loved and I'm saved. Praise God that we're saved. Praise God. But if we can begin to see and understand that bad decisions, bad actions, the bad things that we do, there's consequences to pay. And those consequences is what changes us from doing the bad behavior. We go, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to say those things. I'm going to reject that from my mind. I'm constantly casting things out of my mind. Things will just creep in. I don't know where they came from. Satan's quick and he's slick. He'll know when I'm resting and he'll put something on TV and something will enter my mind and I'll have to stop and cast it out quickly. It's a seed. I can't allow that seed to grow. Why? Why would I do that? Because I'm scared of the result. I'm scared. I don't want to die because of bad behavior. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about this earth, lives, people that are affected by our bad decisions because people are affected. When we make mistakes, when leaders go down, that's leaders of your own house, of your own family. You begin to make mistakes, other people get hurt. It's not just you. And we need to realize that. And when we start seeing the, the results of sin, then we realize the result of righteousness. If we just live this way, God will bless our lives and bless this church and bless the things that we do. Does that mean hard times are not going to come? No, it doesn't mean that. Hard times are still going to come. People that we love are still going to die and get sick. Things still happen, but we don't go through it alone. We have a Father in heaven that loves us. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Is it okay what David did? No, I'm not saying that at all. Wait till we get to the next chapter and we'll see some of the results, just some of the results. This thing carries on through his family, and he knows it. As he gets older, he realizes and so we're being told the story so that we don't make the mistake. Our salvation is secure, but we want to protect our families, amen? We want to live righteous lives so that they can see what righteous living, the benefits that come with it. So our children will go, we need to live this way too. Amen?